And I'd like to start today with uh, this thought. Depending on how old you are today and what condition your body is in, uh, you may disagree or agree with me, but I think one of the most fascinating things in the world is the human body. I just want you to listen for a moment to some of the facts about the amazing complexity of our human bodies. With the 60,000 miles of blood vessels inside the average human body, you could circumnavigate the earth two and a half times. Inside your belly button are thousands of bacteria that form an ecosystem the size of an entire rainforest. Now you know why mom said to wash your belly button out. <laughs> a full head of human hair is strong enough to support 12 tons of weight. A few of us can only support like 12 ounces. <laughs> right, Josh? Yeah, buddy. Um, your body produces 25 million new cells every second. Every 13 seconds, you produce more cells than there are people in the United States of America. Humans also shed 40 pounds of skin in their lifetime, completely replacing their outer skin every single month. Think about this. You're not who you were last month, okay? And finally, in one day, one day, your blood travels 12,000 miles around your body. And that's four times the distance across the U.S. from coast to coast. And for these reasons, I think our body is one of the most complex and fascinating facets of all God's creation. And it's not surprising then that the Apostle Paul uses the body to describe the relationship between Jesus and his church. And he does this in a few classic passages in the New Testament that I want us to look at. And we're going to look at these. And then I really just want to make some observations. They're kind of uh, simple but important observations about the body because they affect us here at Oasis because we are a part of the body of Christ. The first is in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and Paul writes this. He said, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, I want to make some observations this morning, first about this passage, and here it is, and it's a key one. Jesus is the head of the body. People in churches can get real fuzzy about this, folks. The leader of Christ's church is Christ. It is not Matt Hewitt. It is not Phil Grimes. It is not Robbie Waddell. It is not the elders. It is not some denominational leader. It is not Pope Francis. It is not any human being. Now the implication of this is very huge because whenever we get confused about our mission, about what we should be pursuing as a church and what vision we should be following, 
All we really ever have to do is go back to Jesus. And churches get in a lot of trouble, a lot of turmoil, when they start following one person's agenda. And they forget that the head of the church, Jesus, already gave us some very clear commands and directives about what he wanted the rest of the body to play and how he wanted them to work and serve in his redemptive mission. Let me say this too, and I'll add this. If you're following anyone other than Jesus, you're going to be sorely disappointed in your life. I know this is a little blunt this morning, but maybe the number one reason people leave churches is because they forget who they are supposed to be following. They follow a personality or a charismatic leader or a great teacher or even a great shepherding pastor. And at some point, as happens in life, you get frustrated or hurt or discouraged or discontent and you don't want to follow that person anymore. So I'll say this again, friends, we have one leader in the church. Christ is the head of the body. And no matter what happens in this church or any church, if you follow Jesus, you're going to be okay. Can we say amen? Amen. Great. Okay, let's just go home then. (laughs) The next observation is this. The body of Christ is called to interdependence. And let me explain this. This is a big word, but pretty simple. Simply put, there are no lone rangers in the Christian life. God says that no Christian is independent. We are supposed to be interdependent. That means that we depend upon each other. Now, we see this in the book of Romans, and Paul addresses the church there, and he says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Let me say a word about this real quick. Some of you know this, but one of the fastest growing segments of society right now is a group of people who identify themselves as unchurched Christians. And these are folks who identify as Christ followers, but they're not part of a local church community. And I want to say something about this, and the first part may surprise you. The first thing is I want to say is I get it. (laughs) Over the years, the church has unfortunately done in their fair share to alienate people and to send the message sometimes that if you don't act a certain way or uh, behave in a certain manner... If you don't belong to a certain group, then you weren't really measuring up as a Christian. So in some ways, this movement, this uh, growth throughout our nation of people who are not going to church but still love Jesus and want to follow him is not necessarily a bad thing because they're rejecting some of the excess and flaws of the church. However, I also want to say that I think there's a danger here. And it has nothing to do with church attendance. It has nothing to do with having a place to serve. It has nothing to do really with getting biblical teaching, although those things are important. The great concern is that by bypassing church altogether, people don't have a place to belong. And I have learned, and you have learned probably in your life, that we need each other. Life demands that we do it together. And the reason that we do it together is because the alternative, friends, is too risky and too lonely and too difficult. Now, what this doesn't mean is it doesn't mean you have to be inside a church building every single week. 
But it does mean that you should be connected to other Christ followers in deep and meaningful ways so that you belong to each other. And part of us coming together as a body every week, at least once a week, is that though we are many, we belong to each other. And the, Christ, the body of Christ is called to be interdependent. So today, if you're playing the, the independent game, you might want to rethink that. You might want to rethink about why there may be a segment of your life that is lonely and maybe missing something. The next observation is very important, and that is the Scripture tells us that the body is comprised of many parts. Now, Paul illustrates this point beautifully in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, this is a little lengthy passage, so kind of stay with me, but it's so, so rich that I think we need to read it. He writes, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now listen to what he says. He says, now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? Does that make sense? Then he goes on to say, as it is, there are many parts but one body. The hand cannot say, or excuse me, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Listen, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now again, I know that's kind of lengthy, but this is so rich and so good. And I just want to pull out a couple of thoughts here. The first one is this, every body part is important. The passage says this, you can't say to the foot, hey foot, I don't need you. And the foot can't say to the eye, hey eye, I don't need you. You know, it's very interesting, some of our body parts are more prominent, more obvious. Some are less obvious. For example, I have a hand, that's pretty obvious. I also have a liver. (laughs) It's not seen, but let me ask you this morning, Which one is more important to my life, my hand or my liver? It may not sound that important, but it is. It's kind of like the lights in my home. You know what the most important light in my house is? It's that little night light that keeps me from tripping and breaking my net in the middle of the night. Right? That is the most significant light probably in your house. It's tiny, but how important is it? I want to say this. There are no little people in the body of Christ. And this is one of the secrets to a highly effective, and listen, a unified church. When we see every single member of the body as important in who they are and what they bring to the table, 
only then are we really functioning like the body of Christ. So every part is important. I'll tell you something else. Everybody and everybody part has a different function. The great thing about the body is not everything does the same thing. 1 Corinthians says the hand doesn't do what the foot does, and the foot doesn't do what the head does, and the head doesn't do what the mouth does. Can you imagine being a part of a church where everybody had the same function? I mean, think about it. If we all decided to be the ears of the church, the listening part of the church, what I've found over the years is most of us want to be the mouth of the church. <laughs> but every member, every member is important and every member has a different function. Now here's when chaos happens in a church. It's when you put people into positions for which they are not gifted and it's not their function. And we focus them and we kind of plug them in holes. And it causes chaos not only in their life but in the church because then it becomes about fear or guilt or one of those things. And that is not the way the body of Christ is operating or is to operate. See, we've all got different functions and we shouldn't expect everybody here to do the same thing at the same time. But I'll tell you, one of the secrets of guilt-free living as a follower of Jesus is discover what part am I to play in the body of Christ? What does God want me to do? And then you know what? Do it with all your heart. And don't be afraid to say no to people when they say, hey, come and do this when that's not what you're good at. See, nobody else can fill a certain role that you fill in the body of Christ. I assure you of that. Say something else. Every body part must cooperate together. Every body part must cooperate. If one part of the body malfunctions, then the rest of the body is hurt. For example, can you imagine your foot saying to your hand, you know, I'm tired of you doing all the feeding. Today, I want you to stick the spoon between my toes and I'm going to start doing the feeding. We saw how well that worked out. How often does your right leg kick your left leg? Doesn't work that way. Your body is made to work together. But here's the deal. Many times in churches, people start kind of kicking against one another. But when there's cooperation with the body, that's what keeps the body working and functioning at a high capacity. See, as soon as the hand starts trying to be the feet, or the eyes start trying to be the mouth, or the legs start trying to be the ears, spiritual sickness happens. This is important. I want to expand on this for just a moment. In Romans chapter 12, we read this passage earlier. In verse 3, it says this. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. See, here's the deal. The part that you play in the body of Christ is directly dependent and influenced on your attitude about yourself and your own judgment. And Paul says, think of yourself with sober judgment. Now, the word sober here is very interesting. It's two words in the Greek. Uh, it is a word that means to save, and it's a word to mean mind, like your mind. So it's kind of like to save your mind. Paul says, have some self-appraisal. In other words, really be honest about what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And if God is going to use you effectively, you got to know what you're good at, and you also have to know what you're not good at. 
what has God gifted me for and what has he not gifted me for? For example, to put yourself in a situation where you're teaching because the church just needs teachers is not healthy. We all sit under people who thought they had the gift of teaching, but they didn't. There are other gifts that you may have. They're just as important. Now, here's what we do. When we evaluate ourselves, people have a tendency to do two things. One is they either evaluate themselves and they say, you know what? I'm indispensable. (laughs) They can't do it without me. Or sometimes we go to the furthest extreme and we say, you know what? I'm worthless. I can't do anything. I'm not gifted. I have no creativity. I don't fit in anywhere. I'm just worthless. And both of those extremes are wrong. And what happens is sometimes we kind of get full of pride. Someone sent me this poem about this. It says, sometimes when you're feeling important, sometimes when your ego is up, sometimes when you're taking for granted that you're the prize-winning pup. Sometime when you feel that your absence would leave an unfillable hole, just follow these simple instructions and see how it humbles your soul. Take a bucket of water. Take a bucket and fill it with water. Put your hand in it up to the wrist. Now pull it out fast, and the hole that remains is the measure of how you'll be missed. You may splash all you please as you enter and stir up the water galore, but stop and you'll find in a minute it's right back where it was before. The fact is, friends, if we don't do our part, God's kingdom is still going on. It is not dependent on us. We are not indispensable. Any of us, and I mean any of us, can be replaced. But on the other hand, here's a great thing. All of us are needed. (laughs) And Paul is just saying, listen, friends, be realistic. Have sober judgment. What are you really good at? What do you like to do? What ability has God given you? Don't overestimate it, but certainly don't underestimate it. See, humility isn't going around saying that I'm lousy, I'm no good. Humility is just simply saying, I'm going to be honest about myself. That brings me to one last thing, and we'll close with this. One of the great teachings of Scripture is that the body of Christ should operate on the basis of spiritual gifts. Now, the word for gift is the word charisma in Greek. This is where you get the term charismatic. And there are people who emphasize the gifts in their church, and we call them charismatic. Some of you grew up in what is called a charismatic church. And the root of the word charismatic, or charisma, is also the same as the word for joy. And joy and service come from the same word. It's kind of a neat thing. If you want to be a joyful Christ follower, it's important to serve within the body. And scripture teaches that that primary area of service, the way that you make a difference in the body, is in an area of spiritual giftedness. Now, in case this is totally new to you, let me explain. The scriptures say that when you're born physically, you get some physical endowments, ability to think, Uh, Certain talents, certain abilities to do things well. But when you're born again spiritually, you're also given a spiritual gift or spiritual ability. Now, this is not a natural talent. It could coincide with it, but it doesn't necessarily have to fit together. It's simply an ability that God gives you the moment you become a believer to be used to serve and to minister to people. And it's very interesting. Many Christians go their entire lives... And they never discover their spiritual gift. In fact, there's people who serve with their spiritual gift and they didn't even know they were serving with it. 
But whether you know it or not, if you're a Christ follower in this room, you have at least one spiritual gift, one special ability. And the scripture teaches that there's a lot of different gifts. And nobody receives all of them. No one gift is given to everyone. But everybody receives one gift. And the reason that God in his wisdom did this is that we would be dependent on each other. For example, if I had all the gifts, I wouldn't need you. And if you had all the gifts, you wouldn't need me. It's very interesting. Many think that when God distributed the gifts, they were kind of on vacation. But the scripture is very clear. Each one should use whatever gift he has received. In the Greek, it literally means everybody. And here's the deal. You can't earn it. You didn't work for it. But you have it. Nobody, and I mean nobody, is left out. Paul talks about this in Romans 12. He says there are different kinds of gift, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but the same God works in all of them. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each man or woman just as he determines. People say, how do I know uh, who decides what gift I get? And the question is, uh, the answer is, you don't get to decide, God does. You say, well, okay, what's the purpose? The passage from Ephesians 4 tells us two purposes. It is he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for the works of service. Here it is. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. The reason we have spiritual gift is so that the body of Christ can mature and be built up on the one hand and so that we can be unified on the other. This is the wonderful thing about God is God uses diversity to create unity. Someone gave me an example of what it would look like in the body of Christ if the gifts of the Spirit were fully operational. For example, if you had a life group and someone dropped the dessert on the floor at the life group meeting, here's what it would look like if spiritual gifts were in operation. The person who had the gift of prophecy would say, that's what happens when you're not careful. Someone who had the gift of mercy would say, don't feel bad. It could have happened to anyone. The someone with the gift of serving would say, hey, let me help you clean that up. Someone with the gift of teaching would say, the reason that it fell is because it was too heavy on one side of the plate. The person with the gift of exhortation would say, next time, let's serve the dessert with the meal. The person with the uh, spiritual gift of giving would say, you know, I'll be happy to buy a new dessert. And the person with leadership ability would say, Jim, get the mop. Sue, help pick it up. Mary, why don't you go fix some more dessert? (laughs) That's how it all works together. That's why when you don't find your place of giftedness, friends, the church gets cheated. And there's been people who've tried to figure out how many gifts there are. Let me just say this. Scripture specifically mentions at least 19 gifts. Seven in Romans 12. 1 Corinthians has nine there's a couple more listed in verse 28, 29. 1 Peter lists some. Ephesians lists a few. People say, why are they all in one place? Well, the reason is because human beings like to categorize stuff. But that wasn't what God was doing. He wasn't trying to categorize the gifts or list them all in one place. Or he even wasn't trying to define them. 
My opinion is that in the Bible, they're simply examples. I don't think Paul tried to present a closed system and says, this is how many gifts there are, and you can count them up, and this is the ones that there are, and there aren't any others. If he had, I think he'd list them all to each of the churches that he wrote to. There's a lot of gifts, but there are other gifts as well. And the point Paul is making here is not to, you know, categorize the gifts, is that to say they're all important. And God expects me to discover my gift and use my gift and to use it with responsibility. He does not expect for us to be like someone else, but he does expect us to be ourselves. So this morning we're going to pray and then we're going to stand and be dismissed and sing together. But as you bow your heads, I'd like to pray for our body this morning. And I realize that Oasis is just one small but very important part of the body of Christ overall. And this morning, here's what I'd like to pray. Jesus, I pray that first and foremost that this church would honor you as the head of the body. The pastors, the elders, we may have administrative functions, we may have leadership responsibilities, but God, we're not the head. Your son, Father, is the head of the church. And when we get confused about what we should do or not do and which direction we should go or not go, we always want to come back to you. We always want to come back to Jesus. So we honor you today as the head of the church. I also want to pray today, Father, that we would kind of give up the independent game. I've learned in my life, Father, if I haven't learned anything else, I've learned that we need each other. Life is too difficult, life is too lonely, and life is too risky without other people who will love and be loved, serve and be served, celebrate and be celebrated. So I pray today if anyone is feeling like an outsider, feeling like they're doing life by themselves, I pray that they would find a way, they would search for a way, they would not give up, but they would keep working to the center of the community life. And we would not forsake assembling ourselves but we would see it as a vital part of being connected. And finally today, Father, I want to pray for every person, every part of our body, every member of our body, that first of all, they would understand their importance here. Second of all, they would understand their part here, the part that they should play in the kingdom work. And that if they do not know their spiritual gift, that they would get very serious about searching asking, studying, looking so that they could employ that gift and they could uh, use that giftedness to further your kingdom and to help people on their journey with you. I thank you today for the body of Christ. I thank you today for the great sacrifice you made that we could be one together. We glorify you as the head of of the body. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.